0: shubop shubop welcome to the free mom podcast you guys well,
1: well we're back again back again so we're building we're back. a slow case very very slow um, for just trying to lay out what we're doing, you know, where do we go from here was the first episode we had, right? We, I think that's what we called it. And we had those three kind of ways. Do you remember what they were? I'm giving you a pop quiz oh, here, babe. Oh, gosh. Yep. Babe. Putting you on the spot.
0: I just got off work. I'm tired.
1: <laughs> she did get off work. <laughs> a full Wait, day of teaching. A full day of teaching. So we had the three options for where do we go to here. I'll, okay. Maybe I'll give you a, a oh, hint. Yeah. Okay. The first one is separatist pietism. There you go. Do you See? remember the second one?
0: defensive something
1: yeah evangelicalism Evangel- <laughs> and the third one kyperianism there you go reformed Kyperianism. there you go see, so I see th- th- no i so. know you do that, and you're doing great she literally she is like teaching Walked all day and uh, she does she comes into this podcast uh i'm calling it a studio it's like you know kitchen living room we just set this For thing real. up uh, down here in our, our great friends, the Damon's basement. And, yes, um, she comes the in the door, literally starts the dinner <laughs> it's and a, I no. say, okay, come over here. She's like, what's the topic? I said, I'm not going to tell you. All I'm just right. going to throw you in the fire. That's finals, how we roll.
0: I promise to roll how he rolls. Go that's ahead. right.
1: That's right. So. All right. Just trying to lay out a, a, kind of a long case over this season of where do we go from here? Okay. Right. And and given like clear options, not trying to badmouth the separatist pietists um, and also like not even knowing for sure where do we land? Like mm-hmm. as far as are we more on the defense, defensive evangelical side? Or are we going to go like in really, really just dig in and, and say, OK, we're doing this reformed Kuyperianism thing, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, quite a quite a unique take for us if you grew up in evangelical background, because Reformed Kyperianism it really does um, try to apply all of Christ for all of life. And, you know, they talk, they, they tend to be like post-millennial um, in their view of the future. They are like, yeah, we really want to like have Christian government. We want to have Christian schools. You know, there, there's a, yeah. there's an emphasis on really like the kingdom of God really coming in and and being salt and light in a particular kind of way. Whereas defensive evangelicalism is more kind of content to keep the sacred secular split okay, gotcha. and kind of live then in the can. sacred space. Um, and then like we work in the secular space with their, according to their yeah. principles, mm-hmm. but we try to keep them from going too far in crazy directions. So okay. most of us at best are kind of like in that camp. Right. Um, but we also have seen how influential the pietism has become. And um, the dangers of that mixed with antinomianism and all that, the, the, you know, having this disdain for Christian law and Christian in the Old Testament and how to apply those scriptures, that kind of thing. So, that's kind of a rough, quick sketch of where we come. I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen through those, we are, I wouldn't say we're building a systematic case, but semi systematic, okay, trying to build one case. on the other. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with some responses to. Um, kind of some of the stuff we've been highlighting where we're actually naming some names because you really have to 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 say okay what's going on the the evangelical establishment which is sometimes called big eva why are these guys like carrying water for progressivism political progressivism um, and even the theological left and why do they seem to be really when when they co hard, it's against the conservatives, mm-hmm. um but when they kind of like or nuance things to death it's it's sort of in favor to to prop up uh more of the left leaning approach to the cultural moment so we we felt like it was necessary to point that out because many of these folks are are go tos like they have been our go to's over the years, like you know you read the Tim Keller books or right. you know you point to uh John Piper or Russell Moore. And, and we just wanted to like kind of let you know where those guys are standing on these issues so that at least you know that there's another side and that we need to critique some of the assumptions that are behind what those guys are doing in this cultural moment that can seem surprising on the surface until you dig a little deeper. And actually, in many cases, it's consistent with their theology as it's been for years. We just haven't known so notice okay yeah so that's where we're at with that now before we what i want to begin to do um in a, in a couple weeks from now is build the positive case like okay so where do we go if we if we're going to do the defensive evangelical thing there's some there's still some stuff we can do on that or if we're going to like join with the reformed kyperians and maybe even the, the charismatic seven mountainers. <laughs> um, there are some things that we can begin to, to do and engage in on that end as well. We need to discuss like, when is, um, resistance where, you know, the, the Canada issue right now,
0: Yeah, Ooh, yeah we have
1: uh, Canadian brothers and sisters. Um, Samuel say, uh, who's been on the show a few times. I just saw something he posted, uh, earlier, I don't know, in the week, where he was saying he had been in Ohio, I think for three weeks visiting his, his fiance and his heart was breaking though for Canada. He said it was, it wasn't even like being in a different country, but a different world. Wow. Like how, wow. how, when he compared it to like, what's really going on in Canada right now crazy. with the vaccine mandates mm, and everything.
0: So crazy. Um,
1: interestingly enough, there's another situation I heard about. I won't give too many details cause there may be some um, legal ramifications, but let me just keep it real vague. But somebody That I know received a call from somebody in Canada saying, hey, if we were to um, make it out of this nation, would you be able to provide our family with housing for an extended period of time? They don't think they can even get out because they haven't had the vaccine. And if if they pass some sort of law this week, then um, they're going to be put in a position where they're probably going to have to try to flee the country. That's crazy. (laughs) Isn't that wild?
0: Oh, these are the times.
1: These are the times these and are the, times. the That's crazy. Yeah. The, the mystery of it is why did America stop? Because we know that they're in this, in, in the same vein is, you know, they're in the Gre- great reset. There was the, a push to the push. world economic <laughs> forum. Like it's not like Trudeau's on this stuff on his own. Like he, yeah, the Biden regime and all these guys are in the same camp when it comes to this. So the, and even, uh, over in the UK, uh, Boris. And it's like, What, what, why did they pull back all of a sudden? Certain countries, but then yet Canada and Australia still going hard like they are. That's that's the mystery. And I haven't, I don't have any thoughts on that yet or any insight into that. But I think time will tell. Like, hopefully, we'll get to see behind the scenes. Like, at some point, maybe not, but something happened. And it's, you know, it's never what it looks like on the surface right now. But oftentimes we can't see beyond to really know but that that is that was the push that is the great reset playbook like what's going on in canada is where they wanted it to take it all around the world I, at least that's my best understanding from reading their own materials mm-hmm. and what they wanted to do with these vaccine and lockdown down and, and just the the statist philosophy and the um kind of approach to life and government that they want to create is this massive government that basically for our own good, right? Quote unquote, can kind of reach into the family. It can reach into the church. It can reach into our health. Like government becomes this all encompassing totalitarian thing, although they wouldn't call it totalitarian, but it is like when you see how they cash it out. So, um, that's what's going on. So, you know, we're praying for our Canadian brothers and sisters, man. It's like pastors were getting arrested a year ago, for holding services. And now, you know, you see where it kind of goes. This is funny too. Let's see if I can pull this up just to give you a little bit of, um, news updates. So this is the Washington post. I want you to hear the kind of propaganda that comes from this. So I'm going to read this to you. Don't okay. even look at okay. it yet. You don't cool. do cheat sheet. I want, to I want you to that. hear it with fresh ears. <laughs> so the Washington compost is, I like to call it. Um, this is what they said about the trucker convoy. The primarily white supporters of the Freedom Convoy argue that pandemic mandates infringe upon their constitutional rights to freedom. You can already see how they're framing Mm -hmm. it, right? The notion of, quote unquote, freedom was historically and remains intertwined with whiteness. Oh, boy. As historian Tyler Stovall, historian that, that you pull in the scholar here, has argued Um, And and this is what they put. The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. Excuse (laughs) me? The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. This explains why the Freedom Convoy members see themselves as entitled to freedom, no matter the public health consequences to those around them.
0: Wow. Okay. They're playing the. Yeah. White supremacist thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's, Interesting. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's amazing to me that they can still use that card. It must it's be effective so with some people. Out. I can't yeah. imagine anybody taking that seriously. Like, we should be reading that publicly and, like, gut laughing, belly laughing. I mean, it's just, it's, that doesn't even really deserve a response. I, I, I should play my, I don't have a laugh track <laughs> here. If I had a laugh track, right. I'd play it.
0: Button. yeah. I think, uh, unfortunately, I know that there are people who believe yeah. that kind of propaganda and yeah. will, like, shame the, the freedom fighters that yes. are standing. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. So that you lets you know,
1: yeah. yeah, remember when we read The Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis? It's a perfect example of he just really captures how they hire people. Um, yes. as propagandists to promote stuff yep. like that in the mainstream media. Prior
0: to the event even happening, to put it out there yep. right as it happens, to sway how the minds on how to interpret what's going on. Yep. It's really crazy how he was able to have that kind of foresight
1: yeah man so you got these truckers many of them like it, it, i saw this lady too that had donated 50 like or donated an amount to the freedom convoy and she was just you know lower to middle class woman they found that out and seized her bank account in canada Wow, um, she's not able to get to her funds. so this is this is how it wow. works like this is this is like your country on leftism it's it's marxism it's yes. not it's not interested in marx in freedom it's the opposite of what we would believe um the we have as pre-political rights as free That's citizens good, uh, the the rights really to life good. liberty and the pursuit of happiness that they got that was grounded in the uh kind of a combination of the magna carta and um the, the Mayflower Compact, the, both of those highly informed by the Bible, biblical principles of understanding like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder mm-hmm. because life is, is a human right based in the imago Dei, the image of God. You, thou shalt not steal because property is a human right based in the image of God. You know, these things, these violations, you cannot violate because human beings are image bearers, Mm pre-political, and the government is supposed to get out of the way and basically uphold those basic fundamental rights. And when you have Marxism, the government becomes God. And so this, this Canadian thing is that, and and when you do that, you have to propagandize people so they don't rise up in masses, right? You have to tell them all these are crazy white supremacists. We experienced that when we were at the January 6th thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Same, same playbook. It's such a funny playbook. Once you see it, it's like, seriously, that's, that's the, that's the card you're going to play here is white supremacy. Funny, uh, you know, funny enough, uh, Sam was actually went out there a part of that convoy, I say think him, to be a part him. of. It. I, I believe so. Okay, I'm gonna try to get him on his, on the show and get him to talk about that in the future. But
0: jeez,
1: it's really funny, man. You know, and it's like it's real easy for us right now because it's not going on here. Like that's what I was off. just
0: thinking that we should all be in just not panic. There's no not need to fear panic, but we should all be in uproar. Like yeah, this man. is down the road from yeah. us. Yeah, this is happening right across the border not across yeah, the pond. Yep. Well, there too a little bit, but you know, just so close yep. and it's just, um, so close.
1: Honestly. Yeah. As I'm even thinking about it now, we should be doing stuff in solidarity with them. Mm, like we should be out, yeah. you know,
0: cause they're inspiring. And you know, we, we, we don't know what to do sometimes that they have united and stood yeah. their ground and they are making changes. And I think they are, um, showing the powers that be that we, they're, they're fighting for their freedom. They're willing to give it all up because they're, they're trying to make them give it all up anyway. So it's like, well, well, let's fight.
1: Isn't that crazy? It reminds me too, that when we, uh, the, screenshots I took of the, I think it was the African American museum in the Smithsonian where they were talking about what whiteness was. Mm -hmm. Remember that they define they put things under whiteness. Um, the Protestant work ethic, objectivity the scientific method you know it's just anything that was really birthed out of the christian framework all that is just labeled whiteness because it's part of the hegemony supposedly that oppresses people of color and yeah being on time that kind of thing so it's just you you have to understand the worldview at play otherwise you'll be bamboozled like what are these guys talking about and maybe even fear like oh are they is this some you know instantiation of white supremacy feeling threatened. So they're back, you know, no, it's full of all that narrative. And, and I, you know, not even talking about whether or not the, the freedom convoy is a, is a good method to protest. I don't need, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I've heard some people critique and say, well, this is probably not the wisest way to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not even getting in that debate for now, but what I am saying is what they are fighting for is worth fighting yes, for. Yes. Yes. And what these guys are saying about them is is just clearly gut laugh level <laughs> propaganda. So, that's our little news uh tidbit for the day. Um but but what I want to pop on here is kind of one more th- this is just before we build the positive. It's one more one more like thing that's typically brought forth in the church in the evangelical world as that often acts as a reason for us not to get involved. Okay. Okay. And oddly enough, it's weird because I've, I've actually this very thing I'm gonna reference, I'm not gonna say who it is. It's a guy I really respect. It's a pastor who is involved in some political things like he should be. But then on the other hand, like he puts forth this theology that seems to run against being involved. Okay. And I think even though, thankfully, I think he is inconsistent in that way. Unfortunately, it does have the effect for a lot of people in the pew to feel satisfied in their passivity. Okay. And it's okay. sometimes it's called pilgrim theology. Um, sometimes it's called like... Um, you know, we're aliens and strangers just passing through it's, it's that idea. And so I want to pull this up and, and just talk a little bit about that. Cause I think it's worth it here. So I'm going to start reading. Uh, now I'm going to read this to you. I want you to hear it with fresh okay. ears too, just you like they're it. hearing it. So this is, this person said, this is back on February 10th, just because it sounds good and powerful doesn't make it biblical. True. True. Right. Here's what comes out after that. This isn't your home. Shall I remind you that the Bible calls you aliens and strangers in this world, but you've made this your home. That is why you have become so offended, so angry, so unfocused on the task that God has given you. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ, to be his representative to a world who needs Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, depending on how you tease the um, this is me talking again sure depending on how you tease those words out there's a lot of truth in that Mm -hmm. so that's why i want to bring this because this is a little more tricky than some of them that's straightforward um but what i think you want to notice in there these are the questions you want to ask of this when he says this isn't your home what does that mean Is he saying that the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm is our home? Mm Because that's often the way we talk in evangelicals. That's the way we think. And there is an element of truth to that. Um, When he also says we are aliens and strangers in this world, what does he mean by that? And what implications does that have for how we engage culture and politics? Right? Yeah. Because if you mean that in one way, which is the typical way people mean it, That means we're just passing through. Like, why would you get involved in the village affairs if you're kind of just a passer through, right? This isn't your home. You're just, you're visiting this little town for two weeks. You're not going to run for mayor, or, you know, just passing through. So um, back to what he's saying here. He said, it was Paul that reminded us in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, that as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And then uh, this pastor goes on. We have forgotten the humble man, the humility of our great leaders, and the forever reminder of Ephesians 6.12 that says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.17-20 And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you have become, this is the pastor talking again. If you have become hostile, if you have lost, sorry, if you have become lost in your anger towards a tyrannical world system, never forget the man, Paul, who was his tyrannical leader, Nero. Yet Paul stood faithful, humble in chains because he understood this was not his world. He was a reflection of his Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. So, so far again, like there's a lot of truth in that. Mm -hmm. I think you could, you could understand where he's coming from on this, Mm -hmm. but what's the impression that you get hearing that, that Um, what, what should we, what, what should we be about? What should we be doing?
0: Um, I don't know. Is he saying, don't get angry, we're just passing through. Um, if you've gotten to that point where you're angry, you're lost. Is that what he's saying? It
1: it, it does have it does have that hue, right? And right. so um, yeah. What else you got?
0: That it shouldn't matter that much to you. Yeah. I guess it shouldn't shouldn't um you shouldn't care to the point of your emotions getting, I don't know. Right. I think, I th- yeah. Well
1: so I think I think first of all is getting angry about great injustice bad? Mm. That's a question that we would we would want to ask, right? Anger
0: don't sin.
1: Yeah. That's so I think one. I think so we we won't have time to, you know, sure, go through, through all the realms now, but that that would be a good question to ask like when is that anger out of order? Um when is it justified biblically? When is it right? Like cuz you you see Jesus, right? Cleansing right? the yeah. temple. Mm-hmm. He often gets angry um with different things that are going on. Paul often gets angry. Sometimes he goes on a tirade and he's the very one often writing, um, lay aside anger, you know, Indeed. malice, okay. envy, all these kinds of things. Wait and in your anger, do not sin. So I don't think the goal should be stoicism in the face of uh, great injustice. Okay. But, it, what he said here um, before that, getting lost in your anger, there is a yeah, like there is a place you can get to in this kind of stuff.
0: Sure, you lose it. Your mind. Where, you're, yes, you're no good. You become
1: obsessed with the evil in the world, and it and it makes you but to where your you're ineffective. because like, at the same time, we it does talk about rejoicing always, right? Being joyful.
0: Yeah, and there's a place for self control in the face of darkness where you could be useful and and have your clear mindset should you need to make a decision. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, and so I get the dangers of what he's trying to ward off here. Okay. Um, Especially in this world that he's speaking to of like the red pill world. When you're basically, when you start to become aware of the deep evil in this world, the deep state and this world economic forum, sometimes it can be so overwhelming that you become obsessed in a way that clouds your vision of the mission of God. And the sovereignty of God in those things, and I think that is something we got to be careful of. True. Who's right? at
0: the set? Whatever you can do in anger, you could do better without yeah, anger. Yeah, Dallas well, <laughs> he used to say. <laughs> so that there's that. Sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, but I do want to make a place for righteous anger that's biblical, and in this case, even applied. Just it's got to be prioritized properly. Yes. Okay. Um. So, anyways, he says, "You want to fight? Go ahead, but be reminded, my friend." He goes through Matthew 26 here where. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword. And he's talking about the part where, you know, Peter basically cuts off, you know, a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Uh, And then John 18, Jesus answered my kingdom and Listen to this again what he's quoting in the kind of okay. the argument here okay, he's John 18:36 Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not from this world mm. So that's these are scriptures need to be wrestled with so what is he saying here I think the implication you might draw so far is that listen people come to persecute us let it happen right is that kind of? Do you I think so? Yeah, it's a, it's a what sort what of I, a I, I
0: glean from that. What yeah. you pick
1: up, yeah. Um, so he goes on for here, First Peter two eleven to twelve. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I say and encourage. I call you to follow what Paul says to Timothy. Um, before I go to the Timothy passage, I think that's where we get the sojourners and exiles, pilgrims and strangers, sometimes okay. um, different different translations. Second um, Timothy here says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, remove, rebuke and exhort. Um, going on here to... And interestingly enough, he ends here with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples Mm -hmm. of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is how he ends. The pastor, he says, Now go into the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Go be awkward. And so, um, that mixed with other things, I, I've listened to him speak on this. So I'm kind of, I, I do know that what he's implying here is part of his messaging often is, is we need to be about the gospel. In the face of everything that's going on, we're pilgrims passing through, go out and preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And he'll typically define that in a more narrow sense. Okay. Um, yet on the other side, he's involved Somewhat in these political things in the cultural war. Now I'm thankful he is, but I think if you buy into his argument here and you try to be consistent with that, then you would do what the pietists say. So I think his, his, his argument inevitably leads back to that separatist pietist um, mindset. Because if, if, if what, was meant by those scriptures he quoted is what he thinks they meant. Then you would not, again, like why any, any kind of cultural fighting and political fighting is going to get in the way of our one duty, which is to save Save souls, souls. Right. Yeah. And preach the gospel quote unquote defined as, Saving souls, the soteriology, the soteria element mm. of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so this, I think, will often encounter this type of thinking in the church. And it's sometimes harder to see it as separatist pietism when the people saying that are involved in politics. But we have to be, be aware in those moments that, that actually what they're preaching here is inconsistent with their ah, actions. Okay. And so we need to ask, like, if he's right? then we need to be separatist pietists. Like if, if that is the proper interpretation of the biblical narrative that we're just passing, passing through, through and that we basically need to to just be concerned with souls, then we need to be pietists.
0: Hmm. Gotcha.
1: Makes sense? Yeah. What say you?
0: You know, I, I, I would I would love his answer to what would he say in the face of things that Prevent him from doing that, going and preaching the gospel in all nations. Would he at that point say, okay, this is a mandate from God. We need to preach. But what if there comes a day like Canada, you are forbidden from.
1: Right. I'm going to tell you. He
0: would probably say, okay, just take the punishment. Or what what would he say to that? Or if, you know, the thing about anger, you know, what if someone harmed a dear loved one, and I don't wish that on anybody. But someone that is, you know, at what point? How far do you take that? Yeah. <laughs> how far do you um, interpret that? And I and I get it. People say it in regards to politics, but there there are times when um, I mean, now everything's political. Yeah. Everything.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what happens. How you when, raise your kids when statism? Yeah. Happens, they subsume everything under civil government. Okay. So then everything becomes hey. political. Okay. Because now it's under the rule mm-hmm. directly of the civil government, and so you can't get away from that. You can't hide from. Okay. It. But I will say this: I believe, knowing knowing a little bit and okay, you know, following him enough, it. he would say anything that prevents the gospel from going forth. Then you would re, you would need to resist, and he would appeal to the apostles' activity to ground that viewpoint. Wait, okay. Um. So, uh, but that does raise a good question: Does that mean then that all those scriptures he he read have a caveat clearly they do even so so they're not meant to be carte blanche um resist at no cost you know or you know don't don't resist 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 no matter what and it's not meant to say like we simply are passing through and so God's will be done and if they tell me not to preach the gospel I'm not going to preach the gospel that's not what he would say okay so that this is this is the part of like part and parcel of separatist pietists like even like John Piper we did that episode on him he would say like you obey the government you obey the authorities unless they specifically tell you not to preach the gospel
0: interesting okay right
1: so that's that's preach. typically yeah so
0: preaching is the only
1: yes like that's the only thing that to according to them that biblically they would have the the justification for resisting. Interesting. Um, okay. right, right. Um, and so I think they would, again, you do see that clearly in the, in the book of acts, like you see them resisting when they tell them not to preach, who should we obey God or man? Right. Yeah. But the, is that the only thing? That's the question. Like is, why, why make it that narrow? Is that the only thing? And that's, that's where we have to study, um, the whole view of the Bible. But I think that the thing that underlies that is that this whole idea that we're just passing through and our okay. mission is restricted to the gospel what's so defined easy. as the soteria. That's the key to keep in mind. If that's the case, then we shouldn't be involved in any of these other things. Mm-hmm. They're just going to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to uh, give you another listener feedback thing. I'll keep the name private. Okay. It was a good discussion I had on our, it, by the way, if you are not on telegram, we free mind, we are on telegram as well. And sometimes we get into little discussions on there, which is great. Um, But this person said, I have a question. Which view, one, two, or three, this is going back to the where do we go from here episode? So, separatist pietism, defensive evangelicalism, and reformed Kyperianism, which of those would support believers involved in politics? And, And this person said, and how does that align with what John MacArthur teaches about political involvement and not supporting a theocracy? I know we're not supposed to have a theocracy. But I struggle with understanding how we are active politically as believers and yet not supporting a theocracy of some kind. Mm. Maybe my definitions need help. I hope my question makes sense. Mm, that's
0: a good question.
1: It's a good question. Very good question. So I say great question. So points two and three would allow for political involvement, okay. right? De- both defensive evangelicalism okay. as well as reformed Kauperianism okay. would en- allow for and encourage political involvement. Okay. to some degree. It's just how they would get involved. Defensive evangelicals would do it on the basis of kind of their secular principles. We would argue against abortion on the basis of being consistent with human life, stuff like that. Reformed Caliparians would say, you're wicked and you need to repent. Um, Jesus is king, submit. <laughs> Even in the public okay. square, they John might the say something like type. that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but they would, they would also make arguments. Okay. Um, like that, but they would typically, they wouldn't have any problem using the Bible as an authoritative source, even in public discourse. Um, So uh, I continued on in this answer. I said uh, points two and three would allow for political involvement. Three I think offers a more coherent view of why we should be involved holistically, but two works as well by saying, quote, we still have to live here, unquote, and we should at least be salt and light where we can. I've heard from uh, a gentleman who went to Master's Academy. So Master's Academy, I think it's Academy, Master's Seminary, maybe, which is John MacArthur's school okay. out in California. I heard that, there, uh, that they said there was a professor there that they teach from more of a, an Anabaptist position which is much more in line with the first option of separatist pietism. So John MacArthur is like his theological viewpoint is way more in line with the pietism okay. option out of those three. Interesting. As defined by Jerry Longshore. Because that kind
0: of <laughs> 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 past couple of years. Okay. Go ahead. Yes.
1: Yes. 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 So um, interesting. Okay. MacArthur did well, I said, in, in my view, by standing up to the totalitarianism in California last year when many other pastors would not. But in general, I would disagree with his position on the Christians involvement in politics as it is too much is way too much um, in the pietistic realm. Wayne Grudem responds to his view in, in Grudem's book on politics. Um, he interacts with John MacArthur directly in that viewpoint. And um, so i linked link that book. I said so before you leave that, I just want to point out. So. Like you said, John MacArthur did stand up. Why did he do that? Because he felt like what the government was doing was running against basic church functionality. And so for him, that crossed that line, like in that same world Mm -hmm. as like preaching the gospel. If you're stopping, if you're coming in, you're stopping us from preaching the gospel then I've got to stand and take, make a stand. So with that, that
0: first pastor, that first article, will he agree with McCarthy? I think he would. Okay. And here's
1: the interesting part. I just found out listening to something last night that he's a big fan of masters and maybe even, oh, went Okay, there. Cool. and so that, that it's starting to line up sure. like the ideology and where, like kind of where people land it's, and it's just good to, to know like Their the paradigm journey. that yeah. they're operating yeah. on okay, because when they use those passages, they're going to be using it, propping up that ideology, which is fine but we have to ask like, do those passages mean what they say they mean? And then are there other passages that would challenge that overall paradigm? And how do you how do you systematize those together in a coherent framework that does the the fairest job of, of holding all of them in, in even if they're intention, right? That's really good. So that's how you do like basically systematic theology is you're taking all the verses on a particular topic and you're saying because we the the assumption there is that God is a god of truth. Yeah. Um and also that the Bible doesn't contradict itself because truth means that its opposite can't be true as well. So truth should be coherent. It should all work together and it's not contradictory. Therefore, the Bible has to interpret the Bible and when you mm-hmm. interpret it properly, it will fit together even if even if there are tensions. Okay. I said, as far as theocracy is concerned, on the one hand, I would agree that theocracy, quote unquote, understood in the typical way is not the way to go. However, the reformed Kuyperian guys like Jared Longshore, Douglas Wilson, etc., make a good case that it's not whether you'll have a theocracy, but which theocracy Ooh, you will have. Wee, that's good. The claim... And so she, this person was getting at that. Like they were right. They were like, I don't understand. How right. I can not be a theocracy? Oh, but what they're saying, is like even the secular God that we're serving now is a theocracy of sorts. Um, they say they claim that there's always a God of the state, quote unquote, a God, little G. Um, so you should be active insofar as possible to make sure that it's the true God, mm. how this works out requires some unpacking. Um, So the upshot of the episode is that no matter where we land, I would argue that it needs to be in at least two or three, but not one. Like two and three can give us some resources to work with. I think three is more coherent, fits better, Um, but at least at least be two. So um, that's all I want to share on that. But what I want to go to now, there's uh, Andrew Sandlin. We played some of his stuff a couple weeks back. He does a great job of really synthesizing a biblical worldview, understanding. Kind of the Gnosticism, this idea that heaven good, earth bad um, is not really biblical. Also the pietism, he he really works against that and tries to bring some clear understanding to what do those passages mean that seem on the surface maybe to suggest that we shouldn't get tangled up in earthly affairs. Mm So we're going to play through that and um, yeah, just go through a little bit of this here. So here we go.
2: Uh, My talk today is titled The Dangers of Pilgrim Theology. Perhaps the most popular Christian book in English, apart from the Bible itself, is Pilgrim's Progress, an extended Mm. allegory uh, written by the great Baptist uh, John Bunyan. It's a story of a young man, appropriately named Christian. Uh, who by God's grace loses his burden and is uh, pressed by God's grace throughout this uh, world.
1: So interesting opener, right? <laughs> to come against the Pilgrim's Progress, but right. I think he's going to explain like okay. it, had, it had a lot That's of good it. things. So don't don't turn it off yet and, you know, <laughs> yell heresy. If it's your favorite book. Right. No, we, uh, actually, I, I love the concept of that book. The movie was really mm-hmm. good, the little cartoon movie too. Mm-hmm. It sounded like this brother just ran up the stairs too. I don't know what's going on, but. Uh, he's uh, breathing heavy. <laughs> I hope he's all right. <laughs> Here That's we go. Though.
2: Through its sin and temptations, toils and snares, uh, until he crosses the great river of death and gets to the celestial city. And it's a uh, remarkable and poignant and in many ways very biblical account of what the Christian life is all uh, all about. Uh, unfortunately, that uh, word in the title, Pilgrim, can be a little misleading. Just as aspects of the uh, of the allegory itself, of the book itself, can be misleading. <clears throat> uh, part of the problem is our misunderstanding of that word pilgrim, as used in the Bible uh, in English and related to words aliens and strangers and so on. Uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, for example, we read of Abraham and the patriarchs as being uh, strangers, pilgrims, aliens, uh, looking uh, for a city, that uh, a heavenly city, that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And immediately we're conditioned to think, when it says heavenly city, of uh, perhaps the intermediate state, or a platonic notion of a world far, far away, uh, a non-material world. Uh, This world having been completely burned up and destroyed and uh, living forever with the Lord, perhaps in disembodied spirits, but eventually getting a body back, though perhaps we don't know why. Uh, that essentially is um, Platonic or Plato's an ancient Greek dualism as it has been imported into the Christian faith, even though it's been pervasively perceived.
1: When- so does it make sense so far what he's saying there? It's like... Bit. He's basically saying pilgrim's progress, very biblical, mm-hmm. but it gives the impression that like this celestial city okay. is kind of the goal and it's can be understood or often is understood as kind of this heavenly platonic realm. And he also references talking about that, the Hebr- uh, this, this passage in Hebrews where um, I think he said it was Abraham that was a pilgrim and stranger looking for that heavenly city. And he said, what we automatically do when we read something like that is we interpret Mm -hmm. it through this kind of platonic framework, this sacred, secular, Gnostic um, kind of thing where he was on earth, but he was really looking to go to heaven.
2: The Bible uses the term uh, pilgrim and similar terms like alien or strangers. Uh, It means those who are accompanying temporarily with uh, people who are not of their family people from a different nation. Uh, When the Bible speaks of Abraham, for example, Isaac and Jacob and so on as pilgrims, it does not mean emphatically that they are pilgrims in God's good created earth and are looking only to escape this earth to go to heaven when they die. Uh, it does mean, however, that they are pilgrims within this world, world being interpreted and understood as the satanic system uh, presently governed by evil. That's how John, the Apostle John in the New Testament, often uses that word both in the gospel and in his epistles.
1: Does that make sense? I think so. When he, so the, he's saying often in John's writing in the gospel and the epistles, when, he, when you see the word world... It's more cosmos is the Greek word, typically translated "world." Um, you have to know what he means by that. If you interpret that as the material earth, ah, okay, like you're miss, you're you're reading something in there that's not there. Like he means the carnal, the the structures the of the okay. system of the satanic, satanically run order of things. Gotcha. So you can be a pilgrim and a stranger with regard to that system. system.
2: That's good. Okay, thanks. When he says, "Do not love the world, <clears throat> the cosmos." He doesn't mean don't love the material world. I mean, after all, God said it was very good. God loves his own world. It doesn't mean the people within the world. After all, we read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That means the people within the world and probably also implies his creation. Uh, When John says do not love the world, he means the present system world is interpreted as the present system Evil system um, under satanic influence. It is that world in which we are strangers and uh, pilgrims and aliens, not God's world. So then, to maybe bring it down a little bit, uh, we are called not to be at home in the sinful world, the world of unbelief, the world of rebellion. Uh, The world of uh, sexual deviation and perversion, the world of pride, the world of prayerlessness, uh, the world of uh, hatred for one another, uh, the world of uh, abortion and pornography, and I could go on and on. That world, of course, is the world in which we are called to be strangers, pilgrims, and aliens. But we are to be at home and not to be strangers in God's world of creation and his kingdom that has invaded this world. In Jesus Christ. Uh, it's for this reason that pilgrim theology, a pilgrimage, as it is usually understood among Christians, is so dangerous. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, because if we embrace that view, we get the idea that God is not especially interested in human history.
1: Do you see what the connection there? Yeah. Like if you take that seriously, we're just passing if if you interpret. pilgrims and strangers as though we're pilgrims and strangers in the material world and our real home is in heaven. And that's defined as the immaterial realm and the platonic realm where we'll forever be and be. Then it does by implication mean, man, we probably, God doesn't care much about this kind of stuff. And that automatically then everything else follows from that. Like again, full-time ministry becomes, if you're yeah. serious about God, go into that because that's what really matters. I see. Um, don't, you know, what, even the person that, that was talking about their experience at master's, they said they would talk to professors. They were like, oh, don't go into politics. It's just that's that's a meaningless waste of time. So that does, it, you need to settle, like, through good exegesis, he's summarizing it here, mm. but you have to look at those terms, like he said, world, and be careful not to read it into that. You have to look at that passage in the exegesis. Hebrews. Exegesis. Yes, and, and apply the proper hermeneutical tools to to understand that. Yeah. And then, you know, not to say that John MacArthur doesn't know that, like, he's, you know, he's a smart guy, he understands exegesis, and that's where you have to kind of debate it out, like how do you best understand the scriptural data? And I think he gets it wrong, but it, but mm-hmm. it is important to go through that process. Okay. And that I think would, would eliminate a lot of the misunderstandings for, some, for a lot of people.
2: Uh, he's not interested in redeeming this world and creation, despite the fact that Paul plainly says that uh, the creation itself is moaning, travailing uh, for Ooh. its own redemption. It was not cursed because of anything it did, that is, the non-human creation, but of course, Adam and Eve who sinned, and we born into this created world who continue sinning. But thank God, because of Christ's death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection, and his ascension, and his session, present session, and reign, little by little, this world is being redeemed. It was definitively redeemed at the cross and resurrection, but it's being progressively redeemed now by the preaching of the gospel, and the power of the Spirit, and the people of God, under the triune God's authority as they obey. But if we see the real evil as the materiality of the present world, if we see the real evil uh, as uh, food and uh, politics and sex and art and education, and if we think that these things are at best distractions from the very important things, that's the key Mm, right that phrase
1: is perfect if we see that as at best distractions from the really important things then you'll have what we currently have in american christianity by and large okay
2: like uh, simply thinking high thoughts internal thoughts about god with no reference to the material world we've embraced a dangerous form of pilgrim theology Uh, Our pilgrimage as the people of God is the pilgrimage away from the sinful world and more fully into God's created world and a restoration of that created and good material world.
1: So if you understand pilgrimage progress like that, like not just passing through the material world to get to the celestial city of heaven when you die, Mm. but but increasingly coming into God's world. yeah live having our marriage line up with God's design for marriage. You know,
0: that's really good.
1: Having kids, raising kids to be in the admonition of the Lord, educating them, be involved in Christian art, redeeming everything that God gives you say over. Mm -hmm. Um, that is passing into the celestial city in this sense.
0: That's really good.
2: Uh, one reason we know that's the case is because of the end of revelation when We read about the inception of the consummate state, the eternal state. It's not depicted as our dying and going to heaven. It's depicted as heaven, which is the temporary abode of God. Remember, heaven's not eternal. It was not eternal in the past. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens were just uh, the, the leading heaven. The top heaven was just a place for God to dwell, to relate to. Uh, to the earth. But in Revelation, we read that these heavens come down and merge with the earth, a newly renovated earth. And the book of Peter, it's a burned up earth, not burned up to be destroyed, but purged. Um,
1: So that's an important point there. Um, And we'll talk more about that down the road, but that has to do with kind of eschatology and how you envision the new heavens and the new earth.
0: I love it. If you want to grow in your confidence and knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Papel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. It's
2: Likely that that passage is actually specifically referring to God's judgment in A.D. 70 if you look at the passage of the Old Testament. But we could also add that this resurrected earth is also burned in the sense that it has been purged of of evil. Um, So that is the the earth the world and the heavens the new heavens and the new earth that everything is pointing toward and it'll be very tactile
1: so that's an something that sometimes gets lost i think in popular christianity is really all the all the eschatology views end with new heavens and new earth where it's transformed physicality okay it's not like a a platonic realm in the future and so like it, what that it would be in any of the systems is, is an intermediate state. And so, you know, that will probably come as a surprise to people, but yeah, like whether you're a post-millennialist, a pre-millennialist, an amillennialist, um, they all converge back to the, at the end, after the the great judgment, that new heavens and new earth will be created and resurrected bodies. Like you will be, your soul or spirit will be, rejoined with a resurrected body like Christ's resurrected body was, he was the first mm. fruits. And so he could be touched. He could eat, you know, it's like, it's a transformed physicality. Mm. And so there is an intermediate state in which you're disembodied. Oh it, boy. It, seventh day at Venice would call it soul sleep. They wouldn't think that there is that, um, disembodied state that would just say basically you sleep so until, the, until final the final resurrection. resurrection. Oh boy. Okay. But uh, most, most denominations would, would hold to like to be absent from the body is to be present, present with little Christ little. means something like some kind of awareness, like you would have almost in a dream, but it would be real oh my where gosh. you're present in heaven with, and, and there are interesting near death experience stories that people have noted. JP Moreland has a lot on that about people yeah, just having these—it's really—it's worth like looking into and reading some time. But, but, anyways, that would be the intermediate state according to Christian theology, okay. not the final state. Okay. And so, it's good to to remember that, like, transformed physicality, the new heavens and new earth is the final state.
2: Be very fleshy. God has made us uh, not to be disembodied, but to be bodied beings. And we are less than beings, full beings, if we're disembodied. Mm. Uh, for this reason, I want to encourage you as I close not to look at this created world. It's a world you're just a passing through because your treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <clears throat> our final treasures are laid up uh, in the consummate eternal state, but that will be here on a renovated earth. And we will bring our cultural work, our faithfulness to the Lord. And uh, godly art and godly education and godly politics. More importantly, godly families, godly churches, into this eternal state. So beware of pilgrim theology. This is the Lord's world. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, and He's extending His kingdom in it. I'm P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for. Wow, I love that. Interesting. The
0: earth
1: is the Lord's. Yeah. In the fullness thereof, and, and where it's not an escapist thing. Even those mm. passages. So, going if you were, if you were to take the time and go back to those passages we read at the beginning, in their context, you would understand. So, one example would be when Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this it's world." Word. What he didn't mean was, "My kingdom is not for this world." He meant it doesn't derive its power and authority from this world, as it is in its fallen state, Mm. his, his authority and power and rule comes from heaven for this world and beyond. Mm. And so like how you understand my kingdom is not of this world will have many effects. Like the, the kind of John MacArthur way they would say like, it's not, it has nothing to do with this world. And so basically we don't need to be involved with trying to Christianize politics or anything like that. That's just a distraction at best, maybe even harmful. Um, whereas I, I, I do believe having studied that passage, you know, pretty decently. I, I, I think that like Salem definitely holds what the, the point of view that I'm saying, and he argues for it well, that Jesus says I have to pick up knives, you know, swords and, you know, in current day, doesn't have to do bombs or bio warfare because that he, he's not doing things according to the principles of this fallen wow, world. So good. He, through the power of the kingdom through like centered on transformed hearts, it's the leaven of the kingdom that's supposed to leaven everything in the earth and bring this progressive redemption ultimately where he will come back and defeat death as the final enemy. Um, and there will be that return and there will be that final judgment and we won't see perfection on this side. Um, that's not the idea, but the idea is real salt and real light, like impacting not just individual hearts and thoughts about God, But our our social structures, our relationships, even the way that we govern our churches or we govern our cities or we govern the nation, that should be impacted by Christ as king. And that's that. I think that view fits better with the overall data of Scripture from the Old Testament story to the New Testament, whereas I think you could kind of derive a Gnostic kind of sacred, secular dichotomy by picking a few things here and there and putting them together, stringing them together. But I don't think, and and it's oddly enough to go back to the last passage he mentioned, the Great Commission, to me is a perfect encapsulation of what Sandlin's talking about. All authority Mm. and heaven, all rule on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and not just make converts, but make disciples of the nations. And this is how he... Explains even like notes what that means, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What does he commanded? Well, a lot of what he commanded was looking back at what he gave and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit gave through the law as well of what the good life looks like, of what it means to love your neighbor, of what it means to b- do justice in the city, and so that that's kind of the argument I, I think of the Reformed Kyperians and I just think it's good to note, like when you're when you're thinking about like kind of John MacArthur theology which is very it's not just limited to him it's, it's very very much spread through the church of this is not our home so I don't need to you know it's like a rental house at best like yeah. you just use it to do the important work but I don't really have to take care of it I don't really have to to, to, to care about those kinds of things so anyways yeah. hopefully that's helpful and uh, yeah we'll keep on chopping it up Uh, Subscribe to whatever you're listening to just so you know when new stuff comes out, and we'll see you next time.